Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, welcome to the 288th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Lala Halsema. Thanks, Lala. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today you got just the two of us again. You're in for a treat. Uh, we're going to talk about film festivals, uh, regional fests, uh, to be more specific. We're going to talk about short films. And was there anything else, Matt? You know, I did want to talk a little bit about the creative process and maybe kick it off with that, actually. Yeah. Um, because off the mic, you and I have been um, brainstorming on a, on a cool visual idea you had. And I thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting thing to talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, and kind of dovetails a lot of the different things that we've both been experimenting with and talking about on the show. Basically, you had this idea, this cool kind of like visual thing that you were trying to figure out. You screen shared it with me. You were like, oh, check out this cool thing I'm working on. I had some opinions. We kind of threw things back and forth. And it's been super fun, right? And I think mostly you've just kind of been able to run solo without anybody's help. But I feel like talking about it maybe helps you solidify your opinions a little bit more, even though I think we, we disagreed on the approach a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, like, I think I shared it with you because it well, if it was cool, I'd probably share, share it with you. But this is a situation where I had an idea, I tried to m make some test videos, and it totally did not work. And mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I shared it with you to see if you could help me figure out why it wasn't working. Uh, right. Well, and I, I think we got there. But I think the really the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I think like, Talking about it out loud and being challenged on certain aesthetic ideas or or approaches, uh, sometimes you know you're open to ideas. You would have changed your mind if I had pitched something that you liked. But I think it did solidify what you liked about things, even though I was kind of like pointing at something slightly different. Yeah, I, I find this in like a lot of like home DIY type of <laughs> type of stuff. Is that like? Anyone can watch a YouTube video and figure out how to, you know, install their own backsplash or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's so it's kind of scary to just do it by yourself to go buy the cement, you mm -hmm. know, the mortar and to get yeah, the tiles. Yeah, you just want to point at something and be like, "Does this look right to you?" Yeah, and so just having you somebody know. next yeah. to you, a friend, even if they don't, they've never done it before either, just to talk things out loud and have them like notice things or not notice things or throw out good ideas and bad ideas. Uh, can really help you get through something. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I do wonder, I wonder if there's like, you know, there's these like auteur directors like a Wes Anderson. Uh, like, I wonder how much they sit around and get pitched ideas, like artistic ideas and how much they change their mind based on, on things. Well, I mean, I don't, Wes is an easy example. 
Um, most of his movies he's co-written with someone. First it was Owen Wilson, then it was Roman Coppola, right? So he has serious right. collaborators there. And Noah too, right? Wasn't he involved? Yeah, 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 yeah I think so. Um, and uh, he consistently works this, with the same few DPs. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of other crew members who are consistent collaborators. Yeah, and so costume designer, with, probably mm-hmm, art director, sure. production designers. Yeah, and I think he started with Mark Mothersbaugh for... Uh, composition and then went to Andre Desplat. But, you know, the, the point being, like, there are a lot of quote-unquote auteurs and then you look at, oh, they've been consistent with their team for years and years. And oftentimes if you're like, boy, they, I love them so much and then something changed and all of a sudden I don't love their movies anymore. Sometimes it's that 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 linchpin key mem- crew member moved on. Right. You know, or they decided to try something with a new crew member, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm, just it yeah. doesn't feel like what it's you not were the looking same for. anymore. Yeah, I mean, truly, I do miss. I really, really loved those early Wes Anderson movies, and I I realized that I just love Owen Wilson. <laughs> right? Yeah, he is uh he's pretty lovable. Yeah, I wonder if there are filmmakers that kind of get to set. Or, you know, in pre-production are just like, nope, we're doing it my way. Like, this is my, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously in a commercial or something that wouldn't happen, but maybe on a short film, if you want to make your own thing and you have your passion project, like, I bet there are filmmakers that are like, nope, this is exactly how it has to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I personally enjoy the, like, hey, here's my idea. What do you guys think? Like, ooh, this, it could be better. Like, I, to me, the joy of filmmaking is the collaborating. And if it was a, 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 a job that you did 100% by yourself, I don't think I would want to be a filmmaker. But I guess maybe what I was getting at is that whether you take the idea or not, testing your quote-unquote vision with collaborators who get what you're aiming for and have good ideas and have the vocabulary and understanding to pitch things in a, in a valuable way is, is cool. It's nice. It's valuable. And like we talk about, you know, finding your tribe or finding collaborators – um and this was like a a fun reminder of like oh yeah it's nice to just do this stuff and also as a person who isn't working on this project at all and like was looking to procrastinate on my own stuff it was nice to um not have any stakes you know what i mean like i i had a a different idea that i wanted you to do and you were like not not really and uh Right, but you That's fine. But you know, it was easy. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, great. Now that you say that, I have been in the situation many times where other directors have been like, hey, Orin, I, can I just bounce some ideas off of you? And we'll mm-hmm. talk about something and I'll be like, I'll pitch like, ooh, what if we do this? What if it's like we shoot it from an airplane or whatever? And they're like, nah, that's not really what I'm picturing. But then a lot of times I'll be like, oh, well, maybe I can keep that idea for myself. Sure. Like I came up with this sure. really fun. A lot of times I like literally just misunderstand what they're going for and I'll pitch something that mm-hmm. I get super excited about for them. And when they, I when, when I realize that I'm totally off the mark, I get excited for myself and I have like a list of ideas, yeah. especially visual ideas that I like to keep in my notes on my phone. And I'm like, Ooh, what if, uh, you know, whatever, like somebody's shadow is just doing the opposite thing of what right. they're doing, whatever, like just things like that. I, you know, it makes me think of, um, not to tell a bunch of anecdotes for about directors I've never met, but I remember Spike Jones talking about how he would be influenced by movies he hadn't seen because Sofia Coppola would tell him about them. Mm, that's funny. And then he would go do like a music video or he would do like a riff on that idea and then see the movie later and be 
surprised and maybe disappointed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. but it was totally different than what he was thinking. Yeah, no, that I I imagine yeah. that happens a lot, and that's kind of the beauty of the of the mind. There's a uh, you know um, Hayden Hillier Smith is that is that his name mm-hmm. Hayden? Mm-hmm. Um, he made this video that I found kind of interesting, which was about where you can get ideas and where you can find inspiration and how you can come up with what you should make. And he was like, just copy other people, like just copy the things you like and make them. And literally by you making making it, it's like a different. Yeah. Like you, yeah, like yeah, your filter on things, even if it feels like something you've seen before, it will be like your own version of it. So yeah, it's fun to collaborate like that. And it made me think of, you know how everyone is like always talking about the iPhone? Like nowadays you can just shoot a feature on an iPhone. You can just make mm-hmm. like what, there's nothing stopping you. Just go and just shoot it. And and you can just use your phone. I feel like that's something that's just is said all the time. And while I kind of disagree with it, and I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but then like I, I want to do shallow depth of field or I want to, you know, put it on a dolly and I want to do all these fun things like like cinematic things. But I think if you think of your phone as this kind of halfway tool, like it, you don't have to go shoot your thesis film on your iPhone or your spec commercial mm-hmm. or whatever. But if you are brainstorming, like grab your phone and go shoot yourself doing something and put your phone like just leaning on a wall and and i mm-hmm. i i do that a lot um you know even that thing i showed you today i just put my phone on a selfie stick and like rotate it around me in a weird way and try to see how it edited together and it totally didn't do anything <laughs> that i wanted it to but uh but i think a lot of people when they're kind of brainstorming and ideating they're like sitting at their laptop they're at the mm-hmm. coffee shop they're lo- watching references yeah but, yeah or, or just staring at a blank page yeah and that's oftentimes not as helpful as just getting something on paper and maybe in a medium of moving images shooting the rough roughest version you can the bad version starts you off yeah shoot the bad version you know i I think the other thing we talked about this a little bit in our previous previous episode but uh just for listeners at home basically you're just trying to figure out an effect of like a way to get a character to enter and exit a scene in a unique way Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the the bottom line there. Yeah. And there are a thousand different ways to do it. And kind of like, I think I was coming at it from a, a more uh, tactile, maybe, uh, perspective is what I was trying to push for. And I think you were maybe doing something a little bit more fantastical. Doesn't matter. Again, it forces you to kind of uh, decide what, what your point of view is. But what I love about what you were doing is that even in figuring it out, it's just so hard to explain the specific move that you're trying to do. But now, with a little bit of time and a little bit of refinement, you can show it to people and be like, hey, I did this at home. You get it. Everyone gets it. And you can ex- explain to them how to pull off what you're aiming for in a way that if you were just like in a meeting with people and you were like, no, trust me, it'll be really cool if I place the camera here and do this it'll look awesome. Like, that just won't fly with people, you know? Yeah, or the even worse, and this this has happened to me, especially earlier in my career, it has flown with people, and they're like, oh, okay, he seems so confident that this thing is going to work. Let's just trust him. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. And then you do it, and then you're like, And you're eh, like, uh-oh, shoot. That kind of, it worked, but it's not interesting at all, or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not nearly as cool as yeah. I imagined. Or if you'd done it once or twice before already, you'd know how to plus it and make it better and get it closer to what you were dreaming of. Just shoot it, guys and gals. Yeah, yeah. Everyone. I, I think also the, the final bit about it that I think is valuable is that like 
none of what you are doing, you're modeling some stuff in 3D, which is, is quite advanced, but most of what you were doing is just process, is not out of the out of the realm of feasibility for anybody with a camera. It's just that you have to take the time to figure out how to do the thing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess I'm just trying to encourage people, if you've got a weird idea, most of you have the tools at your fingertips to make it work. And it's the thing that the premium is on the person who figures out how to do it right, you know, and that just takes iteration and practice. Like what you're pitching isn't especially complicated or hard or expensive. It's just that the workshopping is the thing that you're investing in. Yeah. I'm curious, actually, you had kind of a similar thing recently. You had this shot where you wanted a character to throw a set of keys to another character and the camera Mm -hmm. pans kind of in slow motion with the keys as they fly across Mm -hmm. the location um, in the air. And you filmed some keys spinning Mm -hmm. on a green screen just Mm -hmm. with uh, your Blackmagic 6K Pro, which uh, Mm -hmm. thank you, Blackmagic, for sending that to us. And then you showed it to me and I was like, whoa, did you get this like from a stock footage site? This looks so good. Mm -hmm. And you just shot it like literally in your apartment and then you went to set and you had this whole setup to shoot it again. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if the stuff you shot on set was any better than what you shot at home because sometimes, you know, sometimes you shoot it at home and you're like, oh, this can be way Mm -hmm. better. And other times you're like, actually what I did at home was better than what I did on set. Um, It was better. Yes. Yeah, it was better. But, but only, um, only slightly, it was just that the circumstances were right. You know, like the lighting setup made more sense. We had uh, lights and people to kind of execute things. But like, was it drastically different from what I did in my apartment? No, no, not drastically different. Like if push came to shove, we probably could use the footage that I shot. Yeah, I find depending on the genre, but like if it's comedy or if there, if there is something kind of broad or hokey or silly or like off kilter about it, sometimes the tests you do at home end up being more fun to watch mm-hmm. more like a zach king vine you know the vine mm-hmm. magician like or more of like a like a cool tiktok effect than like a really polished commercial you know uh mm-hmm. that you're like yeah that whatever you got a visual effects team they did that thing it's not that impressive but it looks pretty cool when it's on a handheld device you know just in somebody's car Shot while they're the driving something. yeah 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 so yeah. It's uh, it's fun. I, I mean that honestly, like this stuff is what attracted me to filmmaking. Like when I was a quote unquote kid. I mean, I was like in, basically in college, but it was like shooting things on a video camera, putting them in my computer, like bringing them into mm-hmm. After Effects or Premiere or whatever, and making something cool. Yeah, and yeah. seeing if I can like elicit a reaction from my friends. Yeah, showing your friends, I think, is a is a thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Well, yeah, uh, create. We'd love to hear about your own creative processes, especially when it comes to visuals. Uh, we've learned some like really interesting things um, on the podcast over the years and uh, about how people come up with visual things. But uh, if you guys have any anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. I know it sounds like I'm doing the outro. I'm not, but I just feel like on these yeah. Matt and Oren episodes, like it's as we move from topic to topic, it'd be great to remind you all that we'd love to hear your your tips yeah. and tricks and tidbits and 
inspirations for filmmaking as well. Also tools, you know, I think is really nice. I love it when I learn of a specific program, you know, uh, that's always great as well. Like uh, the, kind of those small niche niche sort of programs I think are exciting as well. Yeah. We all know the kind of the big stuff, but it's like sometimes it's nice to add another program to your arsenal, a little, little app or something. Hey, we're here with Nate Watkin from Assemble, the platform for producers that lets you do everything you need in one place. So one thing that I'm always really bad at is calendars and figuring out when I'm supposed to do things and when things are due. And I'm constantly missing deadlines, for various projects, podcasts, even I potentially miss, you know, some podcasts. Can you tell me about Assemble's calendar tool and how you coordinate and sync with other people. Obviously, production is a very calendar-intensive task. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to build a very powerful calendar built from the ground up for producers. And so one of the core features to Assemble is the Production Calendar Builder, which enables you to build out your production timeline, create subtasks, assign them to your team. You can even switch views from a month view to a timeline view to get more of a Gantt-style view of how your project is coming together. And it's packed with a bunch of other tools that producers love, such as the ability to bulk, drag and drop, and bulk shift your entire calendar all at once. So Nate, I'm curious, uh, what specifically about calendar management was inspiring to you? What, what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah, one thing that we found is calendar management is really bad in this industry. Oftentimes, the calendar just gets sent as a PDF or sometimes just typed into an email. And what we really lack is the ability to have dynamic calendars. And the challenge is, is because everybody's on a different calendar. Some people use iCal, some people use Google Cal, and it's hard to get everybody onto one calendar. And that's what Assemble solves. Because within Assemble, when you build a calendar, you can share it as a public link that anybody can access with no Assemble account required. And from that link, they can sync it to any calendar of their choice, whether that's iCal, Google Cal, or Microsoft. So once people have connected in however they want, you have a centralized hub calendar that is dynamic and anytime updates are made, they're updated across everybody's calendars on all platforms. That's awesome. So if I use Google Cal and Matt uses iCal and you change a, a date of a podcast recording, that would propagate to us and we would get some sort of alert. Exactly. It's dynamic, it's updated in real time, and it keeps everybody on the same page. It also saves you a ton of back and forth emails updating people on the calendar status and where everything stands. Great. Well, so if people want to check out this calendar, this production calendar system, and the other things that Assemble does, like asset management, getting feedback, sharing videos, where can people go to learn more and sign up? Yeah, absolutely. You can head over to assemble.tv, sign up for a 30-day free trial, and listeners to this podcast are also getting an additional 30 days free by using the coupon code just shoot it pod. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Speaking of creative tricks, and I'm totally going off script here, but probably the most mind-blowing thing I've seen in the last month was uh, a post from Jordan Brady on Instagram where he showed how he prints furniture, two-dimensional versions of furniture that he wants to use in a shot. Did you see that? No, that's dope, though. I love (laughs) that. He had this shot that he wanted. I think he was doing a montage of all these different shots, and one of them was in this doctor's office, but he knew that it's only going to be a wide shot in this doctor's office and it's going to play from one angle. And he wanted, you know, to have all these like tables and Mm -hmm. shelves and different doctor things, you know, like those metallic rolling drawers. And and I think Mm -hmm. from a, I don't know, resource or budget or time, for some reason, they couldn't bring, like furnish this entire doctor's office. So they just brought in the chair that the patient sits on, you know, like a real doctor's Mm -hmm. office chair. But then he had the, the art department print you know, he knew what angle he wanted to see these things from. So he got pictures of them from the right angle, he had them print them on like foam core, and he literally just stands them on set to camera. And it looks real like you. Yeah, you, if you look at it, you're like, yep, that's so this good. person's in a doctor's office. And it was and it was kind of a stylized set as well. So mm-hmm. you weren't like looking for like, so carefully at the shadows and all the things but um right 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 it's just a moment but yeah uh and that's i'm sure like an idea that he probably tested out uh, on mm-hmm. you know with his handy cam and uh and then did it so anyhow okay let's move on to our next topic regional film festivals that's right regional film festivals baby so matt tell us what you consider a regional film festival Sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the rule of thumb is exactly, but I think that there's you know festivals that are the big marketplaces, the kind of like those, you know, your, your Sundance's, Toronto's, uh, South by's, etc. You know, like kind of the the big, big, big ones. And then there's a lot of like second tier festivals and third tier festivals, oftentimes that are kind of what's like a second tier. Like, would you consider like LA Film Festival or AFI or like New York or San Francisco? Like, yeah, I think, uh, for instance, I was at the Breckenridge Film Festival, which is a uh, uh, charming, wonderful festival in um, a ski resort town, Breckenridge, outside of Denver. And And that to me is like the perfect example of a regional festival. Um, so that so that's like a region. What about Nantucket? That one's kind of famous, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. And I would. It certainly is. What about yeah. Palm Springs shorts? Mm-hmm. Palm Springs shorts. I love that festival. It, it qualifies it. you for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, that's I, what they're I really, famous for. I really, really am fond, very fond of that one. But um, I would say, yeah, I would call that a regional festival. Basically, my definition would be anything that's not. Um, You're not selling a lot. Not of a major stuff. market marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that there are plenty of people out there who would look at a festival that's not a marketplace and be like, well, why, why bother? Right. Like it's not right. My agent doesn't care about whether or not I, I won best comedy at the Breckenridge Film Festival. So why should I? Right. It's kind of the, the, the thing that I wanted to talk about. And there's a handful of really great reasons, actually. Basically, I want listeners to walk away with an understanding that film festivals aren't only about um, sales necessarily, and that there are a lot of very tangible ways that you can advance your career attending these other festivals, basically. There is kind of this third type of film festival, right, which is like more like topic specific, like a Fantastic Fest or Uh uh, Outfest or like Black Film Mm -hmm. Festival or... yeah, also, those I would kind of I would put those in a slightly different in a different bucket. category because a lot of those festivals, even though they're not quote unquote marketplaces, are very well supported by the communities that they're centered around. So you can find agents, you can find managers, you can make sales. Right. They also have Oftentimes like there's big in, corporate sponsorships. Yeah, they have built in yeah. marketing, right? Like if it's a horror mm-hmm. film festival, you know who you're gonna. If you buy a movie mm-hmm. here, who you're going to sell that movie to? Right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like, yeah, Fantastic or Beyond or Fantasia, those are all meaningful marketplaces, even though they're not, you know, Sundance Next or whatever. Right. So, but yeah, so what what I'm talking about is like, you know, a film festival in a resort town. I'm talking about going to Ojai. I'm talking about going to Breckenridge or Durango or you know, yeah, um, Maitland. Florida. That's where the Florida Film Festival is. <laughs> sure, there you go. I mean, or you you uh with the hammer, you guys toured a lot, right? And like you you played some big fancy festivals, but um but you also played some smaller ones as well. Yeah, we did the like I kind of feel like the quintessential California second tier, like solid second tier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh undeniably second tier is the Newport Beach Film Festival. Um, sure. And it's a great festival for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we played Florida and Miami film festivals, and which were both very different from each other, uh, and mm-hmm. both super fun. Uh, I, we played Napa Valley, um, you know, which is just all they care about is wine. <laughs> I mean, it's just like so insane. Um, <laughs> they really do only care about wine. I've been to Cleveland uh, a couple times. I love Cleveland. Um, yeah, that's great. And that is that's, a, that's an interesting one. It's almost like a <laughs> it, not like a blue collar film festival, but like. The people there are more interested in watching the movies than talking to the filmmakers, I find, which is like mm. a plus and a minus. Like the people like the movies. Napa Valley, they like go there for the wine and they like might mm-hmm. catch a movie and stay awake through the whole thing if you're lucky. And they go for the parties. And I, and uh, what's the one at the Ace in New York? Um, oh, Tribeca. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, there's like a lot of kind of industry ones, but the Cleveland ones, like some of those Midwestern ones are really... We played at a Heartland um, mm-hmm, film sure. festival, yeah. and it's like... Um, I, our film is playing Heartland as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's more yeah. about... The, like, there isn't... People aren't like, ooh, I want to meet the f- actors or the directors mm-hmm. as much as like, oh, that movie was really 
heartwarming. I want to show it to my, sure. my friends. You and, know. and to be fair, I think that there are plenty of people who are excited to talk to the filmmakers, but it's a it is a different experience. Yeah, they don't ask you sure. what camera you shot on and what your budget was. Yes, yes, exactly. They were like, "Oh, how did you make your movie? Was it fun?" Yeah, or they, or you they'll know? ask you about the topic of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. uh, "Yeah, this is yeah, yeah, this is a sad um, time in history." So, so that to me, uh, you you brought up the point of like there being a community there, and one of the things that is true is that like it does recharge your batteries. You know, I walked away from this festival screening for real people who liked the movie and even sometimes don't like the movie that's okay too but it's like you're reminded that like oh like we're making movies for an audience and not just an industry audience right yes and people are a lot less cynical like you know you go to afi or sundance or whatever to get the reviews from the critics Mm -hmm. and you're like Mm -hmm. praying that they like it but you go to heartland or cleveland because you want to see real people enjoy your movie. Because it's I will a movie. say, as a little tip, mm-hmm. don't go to the bathroom right after your movie. Oh, because yeah, because because you'll be there. You're at a movie theater or you know somewhere public, and so like you will overhear like oh people an talking old about person <laughs> yes talk, being like oh boy I didn't like that one. You know, yeah. <laughs> like somehow there's something about like you're all kind of crowded in this public space, but they can feel like they can vent a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you're not sure your screening went as well as you wanted, or you're feeling in a fragile place, which is reasonable if you haven't screened your movie a bunch of times, you know, maybe wait a little bit that before that, is that that crowd is cleared out. A really good tip, actually, and I've never thought of it. I've told this story before, but my movie it's called The Hammer, but on the festival run, it was called. On the festival circuit, it was called Hamill, which, you know, mm-hmm. it, this is like everybody knows this, but I will just double down on trying to not change your title from the festival uh, circuit sure. to the yeah, release. Yeah. Um, but it was called Hamill. And uh, at the end of the movie, I was kind of like walking out with some of the people that had just seen it and they didn't know who I was. And I heard one woman say to her friend, like, I don't know. Don't blame me. I thought it was about Dorothy Hamill. It's called Hamill. It's a sports <laughs> film. I don't know. <laughs> Um, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I totally, totally hear you. Uh, to be honest, I think you and I are different in this regard, but I watched my movie at the premiere and never again in the theater, mm. uh, with people. Actually, yeah. I, I would always watch like the first five minutes to make sure the sound and stuff is, is mm-hmm. feeling right. It's going okay. And the picture yeah, looks yeah. right, but yeah. Um, I, well, but the hammer's not funny. You can sense if a, audiences with you and with the movie and if they're reacting in the right ways but like the juice you get from real laughs is is nice and also you know so with the movie i'm touring with now my wife wrote and directed see you next christmas it's not um it's not a gut buster do you know what i mean it's it's by design it's charming it's entertaining it's engaging yeah there's some drama yeah there's drama it's like rom-com you know so it's not meant to be like a huge laugh out loud, you know, yeah. yucktacular. Like uh, it's not you're not going to see like a like a bridesmaids or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? It just occurred to and, me that um, instead of dramedy, you could call it a dramcom. <laughs> we just call it a rom. It's a straight rom com, right? Right. Um, but but also, you know, seeing it with an audience, you're like, oh yeah, I've heard this joke literally a thousand times. Um, they're hearing it for the first time, and they loved it. Like they laugh. They're like, oh, I thought that was a B plus joke, and it's getting an A plus laugh. Yeah, but that's, like that's awesome. 
Don't I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but don't you get bored of watching your movie for the 100th time? Like you've already watched it so many times in the edit. So, yes, so, so many yes. times. And then yes, my movie is also like kind of long. It's like an, it was an hour and 48 minutes, which for like an indie film is kind of, you know, a little bit on the long side. Yeah, we're clocking it at 100 on the on the money. Basically. 100 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's good. That's an hour and 40 minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not that much shorter, I guess. But but uh, I just I I love the Q and A. The Q and A is my favorite, favorite, favorite part mm-hmm. of touring with my film, um, because you know you you get better at them and you can start kind of mm-hmm. like know you know the stories that people like. Sure, what connects and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I would say actually the podcast has helped me with that as well. You kind of learn what stories are pertinent and valuable to people. Oh, yeah. But you know um, that, Matt, you know that I play a laugh track for you, right? While we record the podcast, so you feel sure. like people are laughing oh. at your jokes. Oh, that but makes that's so not, those sense. aren't real people. Yeah, but it's a lot of B-plus jokes, a lot of A-plus <laughs> laughter, so. Uh, um, thank you. I'll take that compl- <laughs> as a compliment for my laugh selection. Yeah. Your your mixture, uh, your mixing job. Uh, yeah, no, um, I hear you. I- I'll say this. this. This last screening one of our lead investors and executive producers came out. It was the first time he'd seen the movie. Um, and halfway through, my wife leans over to him and reminds him that he's the one who wrote that joke that just landed. Mm. Like he he like had pitched something and was like, oh, would be, wouldn't it be funny if they said this? But when he read the script, he had like a few of you bitches. And some of them were great. And she took them. Right. And that's when uh, the main character says, take my wife, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh but I'll tell you what, man, the electricity of being reminded of like what it feels like to have a beat land with an audience for the first time ever, it's that's special, man. You know, like, and I, I, you could, you could feel it, you know, a couple of seats away. I was like, oh, that's right. This guy is stoked on a joke that just landed. And like that feeling, I think we're a little numb to it, right? Like we make stuff all the time and, Sometimes it's with audiences, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're always seeing like the the flaws with whatever it is you've made. But like to be reminded of just like that purity of like, oh, it's it's neat to make something that connects with people, and to witness it is um, is really special. If you have the budget and the bandwidth to go to them, and you've heard good things, right? Like there are, there are regional festivals that can be a bit of a bummer. The screening circumstances aren't great, or they're not super organized, and that can. Uh, come from a lot of different people and a lot of different reasons. But if you've asked around and people have said like, oh, last year I was touring with my film and we had the best time at this place, you have to apply. Follow those leads and apply. Because over the years, we've made a lot of friends who you can ask advice of, you can re- you can connect with, you can commiserate with. We talked earlier about like building your tribe. All of those people are going to be there and we're not feeling quite as competitive or hustly or nervous at as you would at like a of south by southwest or something like that you know what i mean like there's less of a hustle and bustle you're just there to celebrate film and that gives you the opportunity to connect with people in a more meaningful way and and those relationships are going to help you even if it's just you helping them somehow you know like it, that you're building your film community and i don't know that that always happens in larger, more crowded festivals in quite the same way. And so that's the other reason reason to do it, basically. So you recharge your batteries, you have a great time, 
you you watch it with real people and you get to connect with other filmmakers in a more meaningful way that that sounds great to me yeah well let me ask you just one more question that sure. absolutely neither one of us is uh qualified to answer but i'll bring it up anyway because i know it's the question that a lot of people have and questions that we've had also in the past what's your advice if you have finished a film and you have gotten into a pretty good regional film festival, you know, you got into mm-hmm. Newport mm-hmm. Beach or Sidewalk. So you get into one of these festivals. It is exciting. You've heard great things. Um, mm-hmm. Some of you maybe even know someone got an agent out of it or like a deal or met some the, mm-hmm. a screenwriter that they collaborated with on their next project. But you have not yet applied to Sundance, Tribeca, South by Toronto, Cannes, Berlin, you know, whatever. All the, sure. All the... You're saying, sh- should I hold out your world premiere for one of those bigger festivals? Yes. Yeah. And, well, the and good does news it is matter? Sundance, you hear about first, right? Well, it depends you know? when you finish your movie. <laughs> if you finish your movie sure. in February, you know. Boy, I, well, if you finish your movie in February, I have two answers. The easy answer is, like, if you finish your movie in February, realistically, you should just you know, wait, wait a year basically and apply. The nice thing about Sundance is that it is the kickoff of the festival season and Sundance is premiere only. There are a lot of other festivals that are premiere only as well, but like Sundance is the one you'd wait for. And so it's nice to just kind of get it done. And then you can, those, all of those decisions are a little bit easier thereafter. Right. But how realistic should you be about your odds of getting into Sundance and also, how valuable is it to postpone things mm-hmm. for a year where you know that this could be, A, helping you with your career. Um, you know, you sure. want to make more features. You want to get TV. You want to show your work. And B, you know, if you don't get into Sundance, then now you're going to be doing all these things you could have done a year ago. Right. Yeah, you're just delaying for a year. Well, and that that was going to be the second part of my answer. And yeah, momentum. And also, will be gone. Fr- frankly, you know, with with our film... To speaking to to being realistic about it, we're proud of our film. We love our film. Audiences love our film. You know, it's connected with people, and the confidence has been reinvigorated in terms of just like, oh yeah, like people really get it. You know, it's not for everyone, but it's for a lot of people. Um, and also, I know it's probably not a Sundance film. So the realities of the way that festivals work is they often have certain mandates, right? So like, do they have uh, social issues? Uh, Do they have a certain level of star that's going to help with their sponsorship quotas? Is it from an underrepresented voice? There's a lot of things that would make it more attractive to a film festival. And there are plenty of straight comedies and and rom-coms from all sorts of different types of people who get into festivals, for sure. It's not that it's impossible but I just knew that our film wasn't like a a, a straight straight up festival darling, um, and we were okay with that. So we didn't really, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we wouldn't have bothered with festivals at all. But it was because the Wait, inventory. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it. Was not really the plan. Why? Can you elaborate on that? I mean, for all for all of those reasons, basically, uh, because it's a holiday film, it needs to be released. In November, basically. Uh, And so that makes the timing of uh, most film festivals really tricky, right? So if we we shot 2019, beginning of 2019, sorry, beginning of 2020, pardon me, um, the plan was to go ahead and edit and then distribute it and, you know, get it up on VOD and stuff 
that year was, right. was kind of like the fast track version, right? So there wouldn't have been time for film festivals really. Mm. And then because there was so much inventory, it was like, okay, well, it doesn't make sense to try and distribute it this year. So we'll go out to some of our favorite places, places that we have connections. Maybe we can get a waiver, kind of that that history of uh, of touring with films and call on our favorites basically and, and do like a shorter thing that we can kind of maybe build some heat and some buzz and some, you know, we always pass out like a clipboard with like uh, people to write down their email addresses so that if they love the film, they'll get an email when it's up and released and stuff, which is actually, I think a really valuable and powerful thing to do. And I think a cribbed directly, directly from our friend Liz Manichelle. But, uh, but yeah, so so to answer your question, you do need to be realistic with yourself. And just because you don't premiere at a big festival doesn't mean you don't get distribution. You just have to be smart about where you fit into the marketplace. And that you can spend a lot of money on festivals you're not going to get into. And you could probably spend that money on marketing instead. And it would probably be a better use of your money and time. Yeah, I will say just to... Just to serve as like a, it's not really a counterpoint, but like another thing that I've noticed. Uh, we, so we premiered my movie at AFI, which is a pretty, pretty good festival. They they don't have a ton of movies. Um, mm-hmm. And they do premiere actually real like Hollywood studio films at that festival as well. Like my mm-hmm. year, they, Black Swan premiered there, the Darren Aronofsky mm-hmm. film. Um, there was a bunch of like really good films and also some not so good films that premiered at my AFI. Um and all those filmmakers are there and it's like right in the heart of Hollywood and it's really kind of glamorous and glitzy and fun. Um, you get to do like step, step and repeat and Getty's mm-hmm. there, all, the, all that stuff. Uh, we, we actually kind of knew uh, one of the programmers at Sundance and we asked him what he thought of the movie and he liked the movie. He said, it doesn't feel that Sundancey, but because it's like a unique version of that movie, there is a chance he thought it was mm-hmm. like, you know, well-made and good performances and things. So, um, you know, it was like it was like a 50% chance is what mm-hmm. we felt. Mm-hmm. And we really said, like, we could go to AFI. We could be kind of like the big fish in the small mm-hmm. sea because... The, the bell of the ball, right? Yeah, yeah, because in terms of indie films, like, they have their film, a bunch of films that already have distribution there. And then they had, like, literally, we we were accepted into this program called the Breakthrough Program, which is like... Uh, the the section for films that aren't don't have connections to the festival, mm, mm-hmm, and there are only mm-hmm. six movies. And Ava DuVernay had a film in that in that program also. Um, and so we were uh, we knew that like we would get a lot of press. We'd be in LA. We'd be in Hollywood. All our friends can come to the festival, and like we'd sell out for sure. Um, and so we ended up choosing to go with AFI, like the you know mm-hmm. one in the bird in the hand, whatever bird in the hand. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so. Since then, I do feel like people that have even had a short at Sundance nine years ago it, it is have a slight sure. leg yeah. up if you literally know nothing else about them other than that they're a Sundance filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there is something like you could, and we won AFI, we won the Audience Award at AFI. Um, mm-hmm. So even though it's like, I, at the time, felt like this great accomplishment. We got distribution. We, did, you know, the movie did fine. I still feel like now, ten years later, even even two years later, like being able to say Sundance. And I've had friends that had films at Sundance that I, I actually didn't even probably belong at Sundance. Um, 
but because they had a Sundance film or just like a short Sundance or, is like a yeah, yeah, yeah. right time it's a, it's a badge of honor yeah 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 I, I would agree with that uh, like I like I'm saying it everyone will tell you it doesn't matter and and I'm saying it, it actually kind of does matter it oh, I don't know who says it doesn't matter they are well wrong. the people that you you're crying to you're like I didn't get into Sundance I didn't get into Tribeca sure 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 then those people it, will tell you that it doesn't matter yeah no it matters it's helpful I guess the flip side of that is that. There are plenty of people who will tell you that these small regional festivals no one's ever heard of don't matter. People will say that to you for sure. Agents will say that to well, you. Oh yeah, they don't matter Big to shots. them. Right, right. And uh, that is true that an agent doesn't care that I won Best Comedy at Breckenridge. They don't give a fuck. And bringing it up maybe makes them roll their eyes and makes me lesser in their eyes somehow. Perhaps, depending on... I'm painting agents with a pretty broad brush here, so that's not fair to all of them. But what my point is, is that uh, to the rest of the world, people don't know the difference between AFI and Breckenridge. And it is nice to be a big fish in a small pond. And depending on where you are, where your movie lays in the ecosystem, sometimes a regional festival is the is a good opportunity for you to be that big fish, Right to win an award, you know, and uh, and I think there are some other, there's a halo effect around that. Winning an award does give the film validation that just somebody else thought it was good, you know, and there are tiers, right? Like certainly saying you're a Sundance winner is way better than saying you're a regional festival winner, but that doesn't make it not worth your time, I guess is what I'm saying. Correct. Yeah. I do think what you're saying about like, having fun and like, like soaking yeah, in the moment of a, a, a victory lap man yeah. you worked so hard on your movie right yeah, and you can go to philadelphia film festival or florida film festival or breckenridge just you and just go do whatever you'll be invited mm-hmm. to do you'll meet people you can't do that at sundance sundance you gotta get the publicist you gotta get this you gotta remix mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. you gotta start like investing all this money into your film and your people and drama and like who owns what and at the end there's still a good chance you won't sell your your movie sure um yeah so it yeah it's they kind of serve different purposes it seems like is what is the yeah, conclusion exactly. i'm coming to a hundred percent and i think that they're both valid i guess is what i'm getting at and so like and that's not to say that there aren't bad festivals out there there are but ask around you know yeah. and the more uh, established you are and the more relationship you build, build with those different festivals the easier it is to get into bigger and better festivals and your name gets out there and people have heard of you and all of that stuff is incremental like I think of Amber Seeley who we talked with a, a few weeks back you know she really stands out as an interview that I think is special in that she's just like she took it one step at a time and has a multi-million dollar movie in the theaters right now and like just just put in the work, put in the time, and, and that's kind of part of what this show is about. Yeah. Is those incremental steps. Now, I know I told you that I was asking you my last question, but I have a second last question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think regional film festival, you're kind of at the beginning of your career. It's You get into whatever, Nantucket. Uh, mm-hmm. You live in L.A., and it's your short film, and they're not going to pay to fly you out. They're not going to put you up, but you're invited to come. Yeah. Do you yeah, yeah. spend Great your question. own money Great question. to go there? How important is it? So part of that question is like, how much money do you have? You know, uh, did you 
are you uh, an engineer and uh, and you that's your day job and you're you know making movies on the weekend and stuff? No, you like PA. Um, let's let's say uh, you're let's say you, you make okay money or maybe you're you're an editor in house at BuzzFeed. Okay, and you're mm-hmm. you're short yeah, got per- into that's Nantucket. perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great question. You're short got got into Nantucket. Yes. Um. So there's a handful of variables there. I think the the quick answer is. Yes, I think you should splurge on a festival or two if you have if your if your basic costs are covered. You know, if you're making a living and this isn't is it a reach. You know, you you might go into a tiny bit of debt, but it, you could recover from it in a month or two. Wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, I'd say go for it. But uh, but that that's a that's a privileged statement. You know, um, but I think that look if you live in L.A., flight out to Nantucket's different than driving out to phoenix or or there are a handful of festivals especially these so that's that's another thing about these regional festivals they're all in towns that have an infrastructure for tourism right like the reason that the ojai or breckenridge is such an easy example that's a ski town at the beginning of fall right so like it's their off season it's still beautiful you know we as short filmmakers we we went with Chrissy's film killed in action. We got a room for free. They comped us a room. So like ask around, see what sort of waivers there are. Heartland, we've got a festival or we've got a feature. They don't have the budget for for rooms. And like that's each of them is going to be different, right? Yeah. And so that's going to be the big that the festival factor. that gives the hundred thousand dollar award. <laughs> I think it does. Yes, we does. were up yeah. for it. The Crystal Heart yeah. Award. And the movie yeah. that beat us was a movie that had already made. It was an Australian movie that had already made millions and millions of dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so bummed. Yeah, that is a thing that's true. Is like people, for whatever reason, they like to award winners. You know, when people are on a hot streak, when they they're just like, oh, they're racking up awards. That's when people like to give them an additional award, right? You know, but yeah, to answer your question, I think it is worth it. But I think that you can be strategic about it. So, like, if you know you don't have the cash to fly all the way out to Nantucket because you live in LA and you you know you just got laid off or whatever, maybe maybe don't apply to Nantucket. Right? Ask around. I guarantee your friends, if they live he wherever you live. There's probably a few easier festivals that you could drive out to, or you maybe crash with a friend or whatever. Um, but but it is worth the effort, you know. It is an investment in yourself. Yeah, my totally unscientific uh, advice, which uh, is kind of in tune with yours, is look at the festivals you got into, choose the two coolest ones, and just mm-hmm. go to those. Yeah, yeah. I think it gets trickier when you know people are mid run. And they haven't heard back from everyone yet, right? That's when it, that's when it's a little bit harder, and you're you're playing a little bit of a, a guessing yeah. game. And if there is a festival that's in your hometown, one hundred percent go there because one hundred percent. And you can tell there. the and quarterback definitely... on the high school football team to go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're short is playing uh, at the Poughkeepsie. That's right, and he's festival. like, "Yeah, I'm I'm a board member. It's like, I own this. That's uh, that. That's why you theater. got in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, so. Matt, uh, it was great chatting with you about festivals and about the creative process, but I'm wondering if you have just one more moment to uh, give us an unpaid endorsement. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement is uh, slightly misleading because, in a sense, we were paid in a camera. 
basically we had a sponsor. Uh, we're still giving away Black Magic uh, gear here and there, um, but uh, but you wouldn't endorse it if you weren't into it. A hundred percent, that is true. So they gave us a Black Magic six K Pocket Pro, and I haven't owned a camera in a long time. I've got like I'm staring at like a a, a Canon T two I for camera heads out there. That's a pretty old camera. That was like the last camera I bought. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using so a TI-85. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is like that. So uh, it's a great camera. Everyone knows how great the images are, how small it is. Form factor is great. It's totally affordable. There's a lot of reasons to love that camera. But the thing that I um, realized is the thing that is extra special to me about it, the, the mind-blowing moment that I had with it, was that it's got a nice big touch screen on the back. And what that has facilitated is an inter- interface that is utterly intuitive. We're talking about like the black magic. Ha- camera the black magic. There. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I can just, you know, point at the thing that I'm trying to do. All the menus make complete sense. And as a result, the barrier between me trying to figure out how to use the tool and get getting the results that I'm aiming for has broken down significantly. It feels like I'm using my phone, basically, um, but with all of the kind of extra pieces and uh, the control that you expect out of a DSLR, basically. I can manually focus things. I can adjust the ISO. All the stuff that you can, that normally a camera you can do. Um, and so to me, the thing that I love about it is just that like it feels effortless to control the camera in a way that I don't have to think about. And so um, that's special, man. That's great. Like, even the cameras that I've loved, they're a little hard to navigate, or you have to dig through things, you have to think about it for a second, and this is all just, again, because we have a little bit more real estate on that LCD screen, and that it's touch, rather than, like, turning a wheel or whatever, uh, it's been a game changer for me, it's been really, really wonderful. Yeah, and the, I mean, and the picture quality is, like, insane. Incredible. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, especially given the price of the camera, which is, like, less, less than three grand. Um, yeah, I think it's like twenty five hundred bucks, and it's like, shoots raw. The dynamic range, the color—it's just like so, so amazing. Um, I, I, I'm always jealous of people like film students, but now I'm truly jealous. Like, there's not a good reason for people to not have one on every you know dorm. Yeah, and you could make like a movie that plays in movie theaters, like with that camera, yeah. like a or com- big budget commercial. I mean, it's it's really great. I have you know the Sony A seven S three as well. I've played with both of them, and I love my Sony for a lot of reasons, but that that you can't argue with the picture on the Black Magic. Um, yeah, yeah, and and you hear my point about like the intuitive, just the menus. Yeah. The anyone can use it. It's really anyone. It's the yeah, best. Yeah. If you best if you know, book. yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, so that's my semi unpaid endorsement. Yeah, Orin, what you got, buddy? Well, so and this is going to be annoying to some people because it. This is not something that's accessible to everyone, but I happen to live in a neighborhood where you can get fiber internet, and it is so great. But I'm going to tell you real quick the story of getting it installed because it actually wasn't very easy to get it installed. Uh, I called AT&T. I found I heard from actually a previous guest, Eric Kissack. He's just editing this new show. Uh, it's like a, a biopic about uh, Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. Oh, cool. For HBO. Yeah. And I was like, how are you editing from home? And he's like, I just upload, download. I was like, isn't it slow? Like uploading, you know, all these like giant ProRes files or whatever. He's like, yeah, I've got fiber. I was like, oh, I should get fiber. I checked it out. I had Spectrum Cable. I 
was like, oh, the fiber is actually $10 cheaper and it comes with free HBO, which I'm already paying 15 bucks a month for. Anyhow, so I'm like, I'm going to switch to AT&T. Uh, you got me so excited they don't have it in my neighborhood. I know, it sucks. And also, you know, I know we all know this, but like AT&T now, they'll give you like $1,000 off of like an iPhone. So anyway, I was a Spectrum person now. <laughs> this week, I'm an AT&T person. But so they send out the tech. It's so easy. They're like, yeah, we'll send someone there on Wednesday, whatever. I call on Monday. I'm like, awesome. On Wednesday, I'm going to have the fastest internet. It's going to blow my face off. Um, and the tech comes and he's like, uh, you know, there's a pole. We live in LA, like all the fiber wires, you know, in newer cities, they're all underground, but here they're all in the air, like going on these poles, like electric poles from house to house. And he, I had to go to a meeting and he tells my wife, he's like, yeah, I climbed the pole. There's no connection for fiber at your house. I'm sorry. My computer says there is, but there isn't. So I'm going to take off. And, uh, he, I had his phone number and I texted him. He's like, yeah, they're going to send a tech. And I wait a week and another week and nothing's happening. And I'm texting him I'm like, what's going on? He's like, sorry, I guess they have to like install these things, cut all these trees. They have to, you know, basically it turned out like that I was not going to get fiber. So I called AT&T again and started the whole process overnight. And I had a tech schedule to come here. And I tried to do it at a time when I was free. I had a, a really busy week. And he shows up and... uh he and I, I am sure I am not going to let this man leave my house mm-hmm. without fiber connection. So he comes. I'm like, eh, oh, before he comes, like I'm talking to a friend. He's like, why don't you use your drone to find the fiber connections in your neighborhood? I'm like, oh, yeah, because I, I was climbing these light poles and everything and being dangerous. Uh, and so I fly the drone around I, and I really can't find it. By the way, I'd already like cut all these leaves away from my tree, my light pole. I can't find the connector and I do all this research, what it looks like. And I fly two houses over. I can find one on one side and two houses over the other direction. I find one on the other side and I'm like, okay, so we do have fiber here and there's something that says AT&T on my light pole. And so when the tech comes, uh, I tell him like, Hey, we don't have it here, but I think it's two houses down. Long story short, he's like, well, look, the good news is you do that. You're right. That is your connection. It's like literally like not the next house over, but it's a house past that. But the bad news is like I, that's too long of a cable run. Like I have to run it through all these trees, 30 feet up in the air. Like there's no way I'm no way I can do it. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to. It's like I don't want to cancel this order. But I have to cancel the order. I'm like, listen, Juan, like you and I are going to do this with that attitude. You're never going to install fiber anywhere. Like, let's do this. I will help you. You're going to want to hire me to be your assistant. And he's like. Okay, bro. Let's see what we can do. And uh, we go. We 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 the the triplex where the actual access is. Like it's a whole long story of how we even were able to access that yard. But we access that yard, and I'm like, okay, dude. I have casting in like two hours. Let's just go to my house. Let's bring the cable and let let's do it. And he's just working in slow motion. And long story slightly shorter. I ended up pulling all the fiber. Like I climbed on the trees. I. Climbed on the roof of all these houses in my neighborhood. I called my neighbor. I was like, I'm going to be in your yard, dude, just so you know. And I found this other cable. It's like a... Are you using a ladder or what? Are you, I'm confused. I use like a 15-foot like ladder. Tarzan style. And then I get high in the trees and I climb on the trees. And I uh, pulled like a 200-foot fiber optic cable run from my the light, the like power pole in the in my backyard through all these trees, I fed him like branch through branch. I was basically copying the exact same path that the cable cable was going through. Uh-huh. Which again, it was like about 30 feet off the ground. So, it, so I, had, I went, had to go to the top of my ladder, my 15-foot ladder, and then climb like another five feet up into the tree. But luckily, my neighbor has these like really good, very climbable trees. Um, 
I pulled the cable, and it's fiber optic cable. So if you don't if you don't know about fiber optic, it's like literally a, a glass cable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kink it, if you like bend it like a ninety more than ninety degrees, it will break the glass. So you have to be very gentle with it. You can't bend it too extreme. And and you know, two hundred feet of cable is like you're carrying a lot of cable. But I did it, and I thought this guy was going to help me. I thought we were going to be a team, but this guy, very very large man. Um, no way he can climb these trees. He can barely get up my light pole that has handles and it's like he's got all the tools to do it. So I pulled the whole thing all the way three houses down to the neighbors. He climbed up the pole and connected the side of the fiber. And then when we got back to my house, now I have casting in like half an hour. Um, and uh, I, he's like, yeah, let me work on this. In the meantime, the whole time he's calling his boss like every five minutes, like, yo, boss, it's going to take forever. And I hear him on the roof like, oh, what the fuck, man? Why am I doing this? <laughs> like, he's just complaining. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. And so I just pulled it from the light pole to the roof of my house. And then he routed, like, uh, he connected it to the side of the wall or whatever. But then this man was too big to fit under my house in the crawl space. And I wanted to, like, bring it into my office. So, I go in the office, I get the drill, I do everything. I'm like telling my wife to like knock on the floor on in the house so I can hear it from underneath. And with like four minutes to spare before my casting, I have the whole line run. And then I go into my casting. And I'm just filthy, just sweat and soot and you, leaves in my hair. Been on roofs and under houses. I do like this three hour casting where I have to talk the entire time. And I do it outside because this man is like working in my office to connect the modem and the router and stuff. And, uh, and then, uh, like, about halfway through my casting, my wife comes over, and she just has, like, the Wi-Fi network name and the password. Um, and I type it in, and it's, like, everything. My casting gets so much better. Everything is just great. And then I came inside, and I connected my iMac with the Ethernet cable to the router. And, dude, before I was getting, like, 100 down and two between 2 and 3 megabits up on Spectrum... Mm-hmm with like an insane lag. And now I have like 950 down Whoa. and 950 up. And I can like, my Dropbox. That's the thing about fiber. Like up butter. Is, is yeah. The, yeah. You can, yeah, you can shoot a, like for a hundred hours on your Blackmagic Pro 6K, put on your hard drive and it'll be up in the internet like faster than you can copy it to a hard drive. It's so blazing yeah. fast. Um, and I'm so excited, and it's cheaper than my cable internet. So if you are in an area that uh, has AT&T fiber, highly recommend it. If they tell you you can't get it, but you know that it's nearby, if you've flown your drone, you know two houses down, like just just have them come over there and just well, uh, cajole them. Just shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> just shoot it. It's not responsible for any injury you may Just cable it. While, while climbing on your neighbor's yeah. roof. And I'm like, this, but, uh, this guy should be thanking me. He told me it was the long... He, it's like he was unaware that I did the entire job, but he was like, this is the longest run I've ever done by myself. I'm like, are you insane? You did not even <laughs> climb up anything except for one light pole. Anyhow, if you need fiber installed, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> my, new, my new gig. Well, I do, but they don't offer it in my neighborhood. Well, maybe if they offer it one block away, we can make it work. Yeah. You can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, you can visit us and learn about all the things that we talked about at JustShootItPod.com. Uh, tell your friends about it. You, we're on Spotify. Yeah. We're on Facebook. Email us. Give us a like. Somebody email us at JustShootItPod at gmail.com. This episode is edited by our old pal, Jay McAuliffe. Thank you, Jay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, 
The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And I'm curious if what percentage of our listeners listen this far in the episode. If you are hearing this, email me, justshootapod at gmail.com, your name and your website, and I will say it at the beginning of of an episode. Ooh, there you go. Little little incentive. Uh, thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.